turn up your radio, it's time for DeLorean Talk with your host, Dave Tavers. Hi, and welcome to another episode of DeLorean Talk. This is Dave Tavers, VIN 10515. I am in Southern California. Thanks again for joining and listening. Hope you guys are enjoying. I really love talking to everybody who is making the time to uh, have a conversation with me and share their story about DeLorean ownership and anything related to DeLoreans. I'm excited to have Jez Mettinger from London, UK with me today. Hey, Jez, thanks so much for taking the time. Uh, it's a pleasure. So jump in with the easy one first. What's your VIN number? 7176. So it's a November 81 car. It's Got it. the, just a handful away from being an 82, but the last of the 81s. Yeah, and I'm a December 81 build, and it's an 82 car, So, uh, yeah. and I'm a 10,000, so we're 3,000 apart-ish. Yeah, although probably actually only 500 cars apart. Oh, that's right. When they yeah. made them 82, they yeah, jumped so the VIN numbers. 7199 was the last 81 car, and they jumped. They never, there was never a 7200. It went straight to 10,000, I think. Boy, yeah. I'm learning all the time. New owner. Yeah. I don't know if you've heard any of the previous shows, but I'm always talking about being a new owner and still have tons to learn. Mm. Well, the reason I asked you to come onto the show is because that video is just awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Every owner I've talked to that has watched it, everybody has said that is one of the best videos ever I've ever seen on the DeLorean. Thank you. That's uh, that's really kind. I mean, I've had my car for I've had my car for quite a few years now and I felt that there wasn't really any information out there about the car that was all that accurate. There's been a lot of TV coverage, but a lot of it comes in with a bit of an angle. It's either about, you know, the scandal of the of the yeah. company, or it's about the man, or it's about, you know, they, they, they want to take an angle on the car, which is what a failure it was. And not all of that stuff is entirely fair. And, and I felt that there wasn't really an objective piece out there, which was well-informed and objective. Yeah. <laughs> I make films for a living, and I've had the DeLorean for a long time, and I thought there was always something I wanted to do, and I finally had the opportunity to do it. So, so that's why I went about doing it. It is so well shot and edited and put together. I didn't know. It almost seemed, it, I thought that I read something that maybe you had hooked up with some other production company and they're the ones that kind of did the work and you're just an owner, but you speak so well and you clearly are practiced in doing things like this. So you are a filmmaker for a living? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I founded my own production company about 15 years ago and uh, and we started off making a lot of extreme sports films and moved into documentary. So, I, you know, I've, I've been around film production for a long time. I actually made a movie. Uh, I made a movie a couple of years ago called After Death, which is out in the States, if anybody chooses to watch it. And, okay. But but in terms of the, the DeLorean film, there's one of my one of my uh, freelance clients is a company called Kingdom Creative, and they do a lot of automotive work. And I asked them if they wouldn't mind basically helping me out with a couple of junior staff and a couple of cameras for a few hours to go and shoot something. And they were super, super kind in terms of helping me do that. So we had a few toys. We had a drone and we had a sort of a tracking vehicle. But we shot it all in about three or four hours. And we were a bit unlucky with the weather as well. I mean, if it hadn't been raining half the time, I'd have got twice as much stuff. I actually love that it was raining because it made it more <laughs> real. The car, the DeLorean out in the rain. And it was nice to see that you drove it in the rain and you were still filming. 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, we can't fly the drone in the rain, and yeah. the tracking vehicle we can't use in the rain. So it sort of slowed down our coverage. But I'm very happy to drive it with the onboard cameras in the rain. I mean, I've been out in all sorts of like, you know, well, I drove to the Alps and I got stuck. In, well, I didn't get stuck in the snow, but there was plenty of snow out there. I don't, I'm not too fussy about that stuff. Sorry to be yet another critic. One of the things that was missing from that was overlays of all the, you know, the names of the places you went because <laughs> Americans, at least. I certainly, I don't know my European countries and areas. So you kind of said the names a couple of times, but I didn't quite get it. It would have been nice to see it on, on screen. And also, you don't put your name anywhere on there. <laughs> well, my name. I don't think your name is on the overlay, is it? No, no, no. I, I keep myself off the map, off the um, grid. <laughs> Jez, you, really, you should have put it on there because really, it's such a great video. And the fact that you weren't, like you said, a TV personality just hammering on the car. You're an owner who's saying, hey, I'm a real owner and, and this is my car. That's what really made it a great video. Yeah, thank you. How long have you had your car? So I bought it at the end of about November 2008. And I originally bought it off eBay. And it was owned by a guy called Lawrence Lawman. I don't know if he's still in the Doran community, but he certainly was back then. And he was sort of a you know, he had a bit of a shop that did some work on them. And he'd sort of done a, he'd found this car in a bog and done a partial restoration on it and had stuck it on eBay with no reserve. And I managed to snap it up for a pretty low price at the time, which was, I think, $9,600. Wow. The car was a bit of a state, to be honest. It was a runner, but only just. <laughs> uh, when you say stuck in a bog, I'm not familiar with that term. Here, I would think that meant it was literally stuck in a mud hole. But it pretty much. So basically, the car had been sort of sat in some grass and it had sunk down into the soft oh, grass, so which had become like a bog. And wow. when they tried to tow it out, they'd put the towing hooks on the front frame extension and it ripped the whole front frame extension off yep. when they tried to tow it out. That's how rotten the chassis was. So Lawrence had done some work on, you know, sorting the chassis out and sort of got the car running again. But there was a huge amount of work that still needed doing to it. But still, I mean, for, for a runner, even, even at that time, that was a pretty good price. Yeah. So I shipped it over and it landed in the UK in about February 2000. Nine. Oh wait sorry shipped it over from where oh it was in michigan so oh gosh so yeah so i i spoke to lawrence and he put on up well i booked a transporter that took it from michigan across to baltimore and then it was on a container well it was kind of roll off it was roll on tow off because after it'd been on the boat for a long time um it wouldn't start so uh -huh. i think they had to tow it off the boat and so I basically picked it up in, in the snow in Southampton in February 2009. And it took about four guys about, I don't know, two hours to get the thing started. And then I, I drove it a couple of hours across to Chris Nicholson in Essex. Yeah, and he and he basically started getting the car working. I mean, I shouldn't have driven it. It was it was barely it wasn't really legal to drive it, and it certainly wasn't in you know any kind of road safe condition at the time. <laughs> but uh, I just thought let's go for it. Did you did the first owner did he replace the frame? I think Lawrence, when he basically he bought it for not a lot, and then he did some of this restoration. I think Lawrence basically rewelded the front frame extension on. It hadn't, it had, it wasn't a very pretty job to be honest. Okay. And it was, I mean, I was always battling the frame a little bit. I was perpetually doing running repairs on it in terms of trying to keep it solid. Hmm. And eventually, it got to the point about three or four years ago where I decided to, you know, take the plunge and do a whole frame off you know, oh, nice. chassis restoration on it. Good. So I, I did that with Chris, Chris Nicholson. 
actually you can see the pictures in the film where I'm talking about the suspension setup on the car. Those are actually the pictures of my car once it was being rebuilt before the body went back on. So that's my car sort of sitting there with the fresh chassis, which has all been sorted out and then, you know, plast coated. And why I don't worry too much about going through a puddle these days, because in theory, the chassis has been, you know, sorted out and able to take it. Sure. At least for another 30 or 40 years, not sitting in the mud. <laughs> yeah, let's hope so, yeah. That's a great story, just getting that. Nine nine grand from Michigan. Do you know, are you the third owner, or do you know the history of the car? I don't know much of the history, to be honest. I, I, there was an old surgeon or something who had had the car, and he'd died, and then it had sat for, I think it had sat for like 10 years or more in this field. And I think eventually it was this guy's son who sold it to Lawrence. But I don't know. I don't know the history before that. I don't know whether that surgeon guy was the first owner or not. So, yeah, hard to say. General question. What, what's your opinion on this? Because we, as DeLorean owners, we all see those terrible pictures where the car is sitting in mud or with grass taller than the car. You think it, the DeLorean community, we should actively go out there when we see cars like that and try to track down the owner and say, hey, you know, we love the car. And clearly at some point you did, but, you know, could we help you sell it to a good home rather than letting the cars sit in a bog for however many years? Yeah, I've spent a lot of time on DMC Talk like over the years. And there's always these sort of not quite barn finds, but like, you know, you know, I don't know. Yard finds. finds. <laughs> yeah, like cars turning up in all sorts of places and, and even trying to track down the owners and say, can we help you save this? And a lot of the time it's really strange because – the people, maybe the people who technically have the car aren't the people who used to drive the car, yeah. if you know what I mean. So oh, yeah. you've obviously, you know, often you've got people who passed away and then it's it's family who own the car and often they believe the car's worth a huge amount of money. <laughs> um, and it's very difficult to persuade them that it isn't. Especially when it's been sitting in a yard for however many years and it's, you know, there's no keys and it's uh, rusted out. And the other trap as well is they say it's only got, you know, 4,000 original miles. <laughs> it's perfect. And you're like, my God, it hasn't driven in 25 years. <laughs> yeah. You're going to replace everything. You yeah. know, it's worth much less than a 100,000 mile car that actually works. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, certainly the feeling over here in the UK is that in the classic car market generally, mileage is very important, but it... Uh, the, the DeLorean community over here is sort of, a, sort of a fairly strong opinion that mileage is kind of irrelevant on yeah. DeLorean. It's, it's all about condition because yeah. you're far better off having a car that's been used and and sorted out and had all the little bits on it that do need replacing over time, whether it's your fuel accumulator and your fuel lines and your <laughs> you know your bushes and everything else. Having a car that runs and is reliable and has 70,000 miles is far more desirable than one that's been sitting in a shed and only has 10,000 because they can be a real state, those ones. Oh, yeah. Personally, sometimes thought that when DMC, DMC corporate tends to push the drive the car, you know, it needs to be driven. And for the first year and a half or two years, I kind of thought, oh, is that is that just kind of a sales pitch so they can get, you know, the more cars that are driving, the more maintenance they need, uh, especially ones that haven't driven a long time. And DMC can make money. And then, you know, now I'm, I've come around to what you just said is it's not necessarily that DMC is trying to make money. It's true. The car, like yeah. you just said, the cars need to be driven so that all the little quirks get figured out. And then the cars, like your film says, it's a pretty solid car. Yeah, it can take a little while to get everything worked out. I mean, it's taken me 
<laughs> it's taken me nine or ten years yeah. to get mine worked out. But I'm I'm almost there. I mean, like the last, I mean, the couple of you know my speedo. You like to see in the film, my speedo doesn't work. I'm getting that sorted at the moment. I I need to change my water pump because that's got a little leak that's coming out through the bearing. Yeah. But that's a pig of a job. Yep. But I've got the new water pump. I'm about to do the job. You know. But there's there's I mean with a classic car, any classic car, there's always something. Yeah. You know. But but once you get the car to a certain point, it's not really any different to any other 38 year old car you know exactly you've just got to be aware of what it is (laughs) yeah yeah you can't just turn the key and drive it and assume everything's fine you do need to pay attention yeah how long did you want a delorean before you finally got it you got it in 2008 how long were you looking prior to that and and how long did you want one I drove one five years earlier than that. I'd been toying with the idea of, of getting one for a while. Five years earlier than that, I there was one for sale in London, and I went and met the guy, and it was a horrible rainy day. But I went for a test drive in it and thought, my God, this is this drives like my old Volvo. I don't know if you had the same ones in the States, but it was like, like I had a Volvo 360, a 1983 Volvo 360 GLS. And um, and I got into this DeLorean. I drove it and went, oh, my God, it reminds me of my old Volvo. Huh. And it with a little bit, little bit more poke, perhaps, but it wasn't. It wasn't a very tidy car that one. It wasn't very well sorted, and it and it was probably another. It was another few years before I was actually had the opportunity. My dad, funny enough, my dad moved house, and with his in his new house, he had a huge sort of outbuilding kind of dry barn, basically, uh-huh. where the previous owners used to keep a classic car. And as soon as he as soon as he moved there, and I saw he had this opportunity as somewhere to keep the car during the winter, I was like, okay. I've got no excuse now. <laughs> it's time to do it. I wanted to just meet some of the guys from the club. So I went up to the Classic Car Motor Show, which is in Birmingham, so about two hours' drive north of, of London. And uh, there's a few of the guys there with the cars. And I just I spoke to the guys, and I saw the cars in the flesh again. I went, yeah, I need to do this. And it was literally within a week I'd found this car on eBay uh, <laughs> and bought it. I mean, and, and actually, as the auction ended, I, it was 2 o'clock in the morning, and I was drunk. But I had <laughs> I had made the decision to buy it you know several days earlier sure sure. your repulsive thing now take a step back from from that five years before Mm. why did you want a delorean well i think i think there's a there's a number of owners who who are of a certain age and that means we're in our you know 30s or 40s and we grew up with you know a certain film and (laughs) you can look you can say it i i i've said it before (laughs) on this show everybody agrees if it wasn't for back to the future these cars yeah. would not exist today. No, it would be it would be it would be an interesting kind of anomaly. It'd be like a Scimitar GTE. I don't know if you know <laughs> what those are. They're like a late seventies sort of British low you know volume car. Right. There'd be a handful in museums and a handful of people driving them, but they just wouldn't have the popularity because you and I and thousands of other people that saw the movie just wouldn't be aware of that probably that they existed at all. Yeah. So the, it's it's okay to say that that was the reason why. And it's kind of curious to do these calls with people to find out just how many. And most people, if you're not in your 60s or 70s and bought the car in 81, 82, 83, most of us have found the car because we, we saw it as a kid. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I saw the car as a kid and I always thought it looked super cool. And it wasn't really, it wasn't like I was a huge sort of super fanboy about the film, particularly. Sure. It was a film I liked just like, you know, Indiana Jones or Superman or anything else in that era. Sure. Um, but the car itself would always sort of stayed with me as something that, I mean, I'd always loved cars. I mean, to the degree that when I was seven years old, I memorized all the top speeds of every car in the back of my dad's car magazines. <laughs> you know, so I've, wow. 
Yeah, I've always had a bit of a, you know, sort of a soft spot for cars and and ones that have a personality. And the DeLorean kind of for me really did have that sort of personality about it. And so I always had kind of fancied it, essentially. And and when I started doing my research, I realized that it and I kind of touch on this in the in the film that actually it's not such a, a disastrous sort of exotic car to own because you know, the running gear, you're not trying to run a, you know, a contemporary Ferrari or something yeah. where it's a nightmare trying to get hold of the parts and everything's horrifically right. expensive. It's not, it's not actually particularly sophisticated underneath. Yep. And because there are so many parts left over, which, you know, DMC Houston have, that sort of takes a lot of the worry out of it. And in the UK now, DeLorean Go, yeah, uh, they're stocking pretty much everything. I bought several things from there. Love it. Yeah. So, so once I sort of, I mean, it was a car I always fancied. And then once I saw that it wasn't actually all that stupid to, to do it, I thought, OK, let's <laughs> let's, you know, let's start looking. And then when it became practically possible, I, I really went for it. So you've had the car running for a good nine years plus. Yeah. To the point where you can enjoy it, it sounds like. Yeah. Give us the, the general map rundown of, of where you started and where you ended. So I started in Manchester on sort of day, the sort of the evening of day one, about five or six o'clock. Now, Manchester is about... 220 miles from London. Um, so you drive southwest for sort of 220 miles to get to London, then around the M25, which is the sort of big freeway that goes around London, and then on down to the south coast. Um, so I made it down to uh, Folkestone. So that's, I guess you're looking at about 300, and, 300, 350 miles down to the south coast. Uh, get on the Euro Tunnel train that takes you underneath the channel, well, but through the Channel Tunnel, basically. Um, you pop out there 40 minutes later in Calais. Um, and I drove about an hour that night to get down to a little place in northern France just to just to stay over. So that's about probably a 400 mile day one. And then sort of day two was basically all the way down through France, down to the sort of the south, the southeast corner of France, which is where the Alps are. And that's another 500 miles or so for day two. So it's it's yeah, it's it's a it's a, it's a long old trip that. So, yeah, kind of looking at about 900 miles all in. Wow. Is that your longest drive in the DeLorean? I've also taken it down to Cannes, which is probably about a thousand to get down to Cannes. So, so yeah, I've, I've sort of done two of those sort of big trips down to the sort of Southern Europe. Minute. That's awesome. Question, uh, I think a typical American, I think, oh, the Swiss Alps must be pretty high. I, I don't know what altitudes are like over there. Have, did you have any issues with altitude with the car? No, but on the way... So obviously I didn't shoot a film for the way back. The car was fine on the way back, apart from, I mean, the car had been sitting out in the snow and it had been cold and it had been snowing for a week that I was out there. So I started the car up and started driving back down the mountain and my temperature gauge starts going and the car's always been super solid. It never overheats. I saw, hey, in the movie, I saw your temperature gauge was so low. And I thought, <laughs> yeah. wow, is it not working? Because even mine, which is really solid, I'm I basically my needle is stuck on that first white notch right. and it almost it almost never moves from there. Yeah. But yours was barely above that when I say the first notch, the bottom notch. Yeah, so when the car's off, the needle sits just below the bottom notch and when I'm running and at speed, it sits, you know, a, a tiny bit above it. And that's where it sits and it's completely happy. If it meets the next notch up, like a quarter of the way up, yeah. then I start to get I start to think, hmm, this is unusual <laughs> for my car. So, so anyway, so it went past that notch and it kept going up and up as I'm driving down the mountain and just thinking, this is really weird. I don't know what's going on here. So I pulled the car over. I opened up the coolant, had a bottle and it was a bit steamy, but not a disaster. And I thought, I, I really hope that the cold hasn't, the cold, the altitude hasn't like done something to my heads or like, you know, yeah. like really 
they've done something weird to the gaskets, all that it makes no sense, but who knows? And then I figured what's probably happened actually is that I wasn't sure about the antifreeze I'd got in the car, and it might have even just been I had a little bit of frozen somewhere somewhere in the whole sort of ice. water system. I'd maybe got a little bit of ice in there that finally cleared, and after that it was fine. But apart from that, yeah, the car went up to it's about eighteen hundred meters. So what's that? That's about almost six thousand feet. Yeah, no problems at all. And you didn't break down. You're just uh, concerned, and then it cleared up. Do you have yeah. a Do you have a breakdown? A significant breakdown story? The, the car has broken down on me a couple of times. I mean, I think everybody who's ever had a DeLorean oh, yeah. surely must have had some kind <laughs> of incident. I had one which was early in the car's life, where it was still. Uh, it was still sort of only halfway through its sort of early restoration, yeah. and it was old, old, uh, old ignition distributor, rotor, and and dodgy HT leads that had basically just weren't working together, and the car just spluttered to a halt. I've had another one where a replacement fuel pump line ruptured on me, which Ooh. was a new one that went in, and it just ruptured. I broke down because of that. Was that a rubber line or one of the stainless lines? It was a rubber line. Yeah, it was a bad quality rubber line that I hadn't realized was as bad quality as it was until it ruptured. And I've also had I've had an overheating issue on the way down to Cannes, actually, which was when the um, it was uh, it was 30 degrees. It was standing traffic, climbing a hill at like two <laughs> miles an hour for half an hour. And my loom, yeah, my Ostar decided not to function. And I had to pull over and, and let the car cool down a little bit. But right. after that, it was okay. And since then, I've installed manual override fans. So, you know, I just don't want to have to rely on Ostar, which is perpetually yeah. giving up grief. So I just, uh, I haven't installed it. In fact, I'm looking at the box right now. I just ordered Toby Peterson's uh, adjustable uh, fan switch so you can actually right. it's not you can't do it from inside the car but you can set it in the engine bay to whatever you want and i know a couple people that have installed it and they love it and that's why i was like okay i'll i'll get that that switch is the temperature at which the fans come on is that right yes okay yeah um there is another solution which is the one i did which is to run basically a switch out of the directly out of the fuse box eliminating the whole of the loom at the back of the car so you just literally have a direct line to turn your fans on whenever you want <laughs> well, that, would... that means that you have to control the fans all the time right they don't still they don't yeah. come on automatically at all i'm not sure if it necessarily overrules the odd stat but i basically just run the fans myself and i'm happy to do so yeah, yeah. That, that just that's a one more major step driving a car it kind of goes back a little you know like 100 years where you have to really pay attention to that temperature gauge all the time that would freak me out <laughs> well yeah i guess so i guess so i've just got used to it you sort of you spend enough time with the car and you you know exactly well you don't know exactly what it's going to do when it's going to do it but you yeah. get a pretty good idea so how much do you drive the car i i'm guessing it's not your daily driver in london uh, no it's not um the answer is not as often as I should. When there's an excuse to go somewhere in it that's fun, <laughs> then then I try and take it. Um, but it's probably it's probably only sort of once or twice a month, really. Um, and I ought to use it more. And the car is actually up for sale at the moment because I've come to the conclusion that I may be not using it enough. So I mean, if no one if no if just no one decides to pick it up, then that's fine. I will keep it. But sure. I feel that if if it's uh, if it finds the right home, then then it, I, I'm okay with that. I've had ten years sure. with it, and I still kind of love it. Well, I do still love it. I wouldn't have spent this time and energy making a film about it. Sure. But life life moves in different directions sometimes, and, yep. and I'll just see if, if this is a direction that it wants to go in. So again, being American, I've never been to London, but I've seen television. I've heard the stories. 
generally in London, you don't have giant houses with five-car garages and extra space. Does the car stay with you? Is it 10 feet yeah. away from your front door, or do you have to drive someplace to pick it up? Well, a bit of both. I mean, the car is the, – the DeLorean is really – actually, it's really good at doing the kind of trip I did, driving down – you know, the French auto route, because I'm on the right side of the car for the road there. It's very good and very comfortable at high speeds. It's better than, you know, a lot of modern cars are doing that. But driving around London, it's awful because you've got like a really heavy clutch. You're on the wrong side of the car. So if you want to overtake a bus, you can't do it. The roads are narrow. There's lots of speed bumps. The car's low. Yeah. The visibility is bad. You know, it's it's really not a good city car. In um, London, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's it's definitely much better on the sort of a longer trips where you can actually get it to stretch its legs. Yeah. In terms of where I keep it, I've got a little um, gazebo at the back of my house. Um, so I've got off-road car parking, can live under the gazebo there during the summer. Yeah. And then in the winter, the British weather means you get very sort of, it's very moist and damp <laughs> in the winter. And that will get to the underside of the car. Oh, so yeah. try and keep it in my... Uh, I try and keep it at my dad's place, you know, in a dry barn over the winter. So if I want to use it when it's up there, it's an hour and a half to get up there. So that's oh, a bit of a myth. That makes – I can understand then. Ten years, you've enjoyed the car. But, yeah, if it's if it's away from home an hour and a half, that's not just I'm going to pop over and take it out for a Saturday drive. You have to commit to some serious time. Yeah. So when I've got the car at home here and it's living in the gazebo and the weather's good, it's, you know, it's fine. But, uh, but the rest of the time, it's not so easy. Do you have any fun stories about – driving the car. Uh, I, I can't imagine there's that many DeLoreans in London. You see the odd one. And I hear talk of the odd one. People say, I saw one, it must have been you. And I'm like, no, it wasn't. <laughs> I mean, there's, in theory, there's about 200 or more in the UK now. But I think, I don't know how much the cars are getting used in the States, but it certainly feels like a lot of them spend most of their time sleeping over here. And that's either because they are unable to be awoken <laughs> or that's simply because, you know, the owners don't necessarily, you know, want to drive around or put that many miles on them or, you know. So, so it's really rare that, I mean, I'll see another one on the roads over here. You know, the only times that you'll ever tend to see one is at the, one of the meets. Hmm. And then we might get sort of up to sort of 20 or 30 cars coming to some of the meets. But it is very much like they come out of hibernation for that. And a bunch of those cars don't run at all during the rest of the year. Do you get a lot of attention from the public when you take the car out in London? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, uh, I, I took a car out this morning, actually, because I was just taking it over to my local mechanic guy to get it MOT'd. MOT is our, um, our annual sort of road safety certificate we have to get um i don't think you have one in the states some states have some version of that but not in california yeah yeah you've got a smog test i think don't you yeah but, so uh yeah so i was taking it over to my local guy and uh this, this dude's just walking along the street and he stops and he goes and he just starts pointing at me and shouting yes 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 and then, you know <laughs> waving and jumping and i'm like yeah yeah thanks mate I mean, it, it does get a lot of attention and like you know it's quite difficult to fill up with fuel quickly in it because there's always somebody there who comes over and wants to sit in it and take a picture and sure. and I, I you know i'm really happy to talk to people about the car because when you see the smile it puts on their face it it kind of that's you don't drive this car if you want to sort of slip away and not be noticed you have to be okay with having the attention and you can't you know you might be in a bad mood you might be in a, in a rush but i always try and you know take some time out to, to chat about the car and you know answer any questions people might have you know and answer the standard stuff about how the body's aluminium you know. <laughs> it's kind of a requirement if you're going to own a delorean to be willing to share with people yeah and and to be okay with fingerprints um, yes oh my gosh 
<laughs> the first thing that anybody who hasn't seen the car before will do is touch it. And and yeah, you just got to say, fine, that's going to take me a little while to buff out later. But Right. I know some owners that just flip out when people do it. I'm like, you're at a car show and it's a unique car. I get it. It's kind of intrusive for people to do that. But at the same time, it's unique and it's not like it's damaging the car. Yeah. I, I even about a year ago, I did a went to a kind of a car event with some a couple other owners and lots of other people. And we went into one car museum that had, uh, I'm going to say a 1950s car that had a brushed stainless steel top. And even though I own a DeLorean and I've had to clean it, I instinctively walked up and touched the dang top. Like, that is so weird. Like, I already know what it looks like and feels like, but I still touched it just automatically. It's, it's something about the texture of it. There's yeah. something about the texture of it, the shine of it. It, it. it taps into that little baby part of our brain. You know when babies take, take them I don't know and put it in their mouths because they have to know what it's like. It's kind of, there's something about a DeLorean that's the same thing to like a human brain where it just sucks us in and we have to know what that texture feels like. Yeah, it's weird. You yeah. a, a moment ago, you'd mentioned that you think there's about 200 DeLoreans in the UK. I yeah. honestly thought it was a, a lot higher than that because... When I look at some of the photos of the events, the DeLorean Club UK, there are a lot of cars there. Do you think that's accurate, the 200 number? It might be a few more now. It depends on the import rate. So there have been some years where the cars have been coming over pretty quickly, you know, sort of 10 or 20 a year into the UK. And the turnover of cars inside the UK isn't that high, where most people are just buying them in the States and shipping them over. We've had maybe, I think maybe, the, I don't know, Aaron, who, you know, who is part of, you know, uh, DeLorean Club UK will be able to give you a better answer on this. But I think the most we've had at one of the meets is 35 or 40 cars. But that does look like a lot of cars when they're all there in the flesh. Yeah, one of my favorite pictures from the club is the the tree-lined road where they're all lined up next to each yeah. other. That's a yeah. that's just a great picture. And then I think yeah. for the, uh, was that a year and a half ago for the big DeLorean uh, UK meet where they had them all parked in front of Oh, forgive me. I, was it a parliament building or something? I, I don't know which we're talking about. We've certainly had, there was a sort of a big stately home we went out to and we got some sort of shots of lots of the cars in various different formations around that. Yeah. And that's uh, Eurofest as well, which is, I think it's called Eurofest, yeah. every five years over in Belfast. That's the one. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. So they've got all the Irish DeLoreans there as well as a number that came over from the UK. I'm not sure what totals of cars they get there, but certainly those are big events. And a, and a few come from Europe as well. Sure. And that's obviously quite a trek because you've got to cross two bits of sea to get to, to, get to, to, get to Belfast from mainland Europe. Any terrible stories of owning the car with regard to the public not necessarily breakdowns or the work that you've done on it but and i say terrible not because it's we don't want to pick on people but we've all had those crazy experiences whether it's the moron at least here in the u.s the morons on the freeway that are trying to take pictures or video and not yeah. paying attention and then they you know bleed over into your lane or they have to yeah. stop short the car in front and then they try to pull into your lane to get out of the way yeah, that I mean, yeah, that happens a lot. I mean, there's there was I sort of referenced it in the video, but what you get a lot of is people sitting in your blind spot yep. on the freeway, and you know the visibility in the dollar isn't great at the best of times. Um, so you get pretty used to doing the shoulder check when you're changing changing lanes just to make sure there isn't somebody sitting there because they they usually is. They seem to think that the perfect place to take a picture of it is right on your rear quarter. Yeah, I've not had any like negative experience from the public though. I mean, it's you know it's it's almost universally positive. The the most negative that you get are the old gits who 
who say, I want my money back when I see the car. So these are the these are the sort of a 70 year old sort of English people who are aware oh. of the government grants that yeah. the that were given to the company. And they saw that, you know, they, they sort of see it as being a funny joke of saying, well, look, I put eight quid into this car <laughs> back in 1981. I want it back. So it's and, and some and they're quite. I don't know. There's a there's a there's a few. I've, I've met a couple of people who've been a little bit like snooty about that for some particular reason. But I mean, like, yeah. I mean, by the huge majority, the response is incredibly positive. Yeah. And it's not necessarily you get a kind of a, an intellectual interest or a sort of a a technical interest from some people who are sort of fascinated about what actually the car is. But by and large, the response you get is a purely quick emotional one because for most people it just connects them to the film sure. and for most people that's connecting them to something from their childhood and happiness yeah yeah and it, and it and it just puts a smile on people's face without any thought without any sort of question and that's kind of one of the best things about the car you know it's it's fine i can go and talk about how you know what engine it's got and you know what sure. size tire it's got but <laughs> but for most people they just see it and it makes them smile and i think the other thing that people aren't expecting with the car is how is how dramatic it looks in the flesh as well. I mean, you put it next to a modern car and it's very low and yeah. very wide. Even for being 37 years old. Yeah. And you park it next to a, a sort of a modern supercar and it's as low and wide as a modern supercar, you know, and people maybe aren't expecting that. I don't want to dig in and, and go overboard on the negative things, but it, that is a very different perspective when you have the old timers that remember how much money the government gave to the company. Over in the US, I don't know that I've ever heard anybody bring that up other than owners and you you have a yeah. different experience because people from there remember some older people remember yeah. that yeah it was big news yeah. i mean at the time it's big news and i guess you know what was bigger news was probably the cocaine sting in the u.s right. i mean that was too but certainly the you know because it was all tied into the political situation so strongly over here at the yeah. time and you know, the, the northern ireland situation was a huge you know front page news every day and the government taking the effort to try and change it by putting money into DeLorean and then he turns into a... Yeah, accused drug dealer, sure. It's, um, I mean, yeah, certainly that's that sort of... It, it, they feel like it affected them personally in some way, whereas perhaps in the States that was less the case. But it's a different experience than most people over here have, so that's why I was kind of yeah. asking about that. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. So I had posted online and said, hey, does anybody have questions for Jez? And there's uh, just a couple of questions. Someone says a DeLorean is not a chick magnet. Uh, it attracts nerdy guys, he says. But Ronnie Demmer from California says that is not true. He's an original owner. He has proof. What's been your experience? <laughs> well, what I would say is that, yeah, 98% of the attention you get is from nerdy guys. Um, <laughs> but I have had attention from girls too. And that attention is positive as well. It's just hugely in the minority compared to the nerdy guys. But there are some girls who completely lose their shit <laughs> when they hear you've got one. And, uh, and they're just as excited as the nerdy guys. It's just that they are infrequent compared to everyone else. But yeah, I have, I have encountered a number of girls who've been that excited about it. So, so yeah, I guess you could say as, as far as any car is a chick magnet. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I honestly don't really believe in that. I, I, I yeah. think that you drive a, a fancy car and it just makes you a dick to be honest. <laughs> um, but there's something about DeLorean that's not trying too hard to be, it's not saying, Hey, look at me, look how much money I've got. Yeah. Like a, a shiny new Ferrari. Yep. It's Hey, look at me. I drive this old car with a terrible reputation <laughs> because I like it and it kind of makes me feel good and it's fun, you know? And yeah. that's, 
I think a much better message to be you know saying with a car than hey look at me I've got lots of money so that's a good way of looking at it I don't know if I've thought about that I don't know if you have if they have it over the, well if you guys have watched over there the Jerry Seinfeld's comedians and cars getting coffee yeah I have seen that and you know he's driving all kinds of different uh, cars including the DeLorean that broke down that was unfortunate but um, <laughs> yeah that's a what you just said is kind of an interesting point is yeah people don't drive the DeLorean to look fancy or be fancy they drive it purely for the fun of it because it's not a supercar it's not fast it's not anything versus yeah Ferrari or Lamborghini you're right people that buy and drive those cars n not to say that they're terrible people or anything but they're not <laughs> driving those cars because they're fun at least in the United States you cannot drive the Lamborghini 180 miles an hour on the freeway here, period, no. anywhere. UK, no. you know, there's Autobahn, Germany, things like that. But, yeah, here it is purely a show car to say, look at me and look how rich I am or how fancy I am. Absolutely. And certainly if you look at, you know, certain parts of London where there's a high population of, you know, supercars. And, you know, you look at the people who are driving them and you get a pretty good sense for, for the kind of people they are and yeah as as you say they are not they are not driving them for the joy of the mechanical engineering that's going yeah. on in the car even though they are amazing supercars are amazing absolutely yeah uh another question what qualities make for a hugely successful reaping of technical help with the uk club does that make sense <laughs> it makes perfect sense do you know who uh whose name's on that yeah it's edmund blackett Blackadder. Right. Okay. So I assume that this is a question from from someone in the UK club. So the um, the, the club has always been a very um, a very a very strong community who who are very happy to help in all sorts of ways that you know I, I, I don't know. I think a bunch of old fusty car clubs probably wouldn't be. And one of the one of the terms that sort of became known was to be a, a club reaper. And what this essentially meant was to reap the benefits of being in the club. So there are people who are extremely technically minded in the club, and they are obviously incredibly valuable yeah. to the people who are less technically minded. And when I and when I bought my DeLorean, I hadn't really turned a spanner on on much at all, you know, and I was I was sort of starting from zero. And so I so I needed some of that help to sort of do certain things on the car and the, and the and the club were unbelievably helpful with helping me do that. And one of the things that they helped me do was to do an engine swap on the car. So sort of, you know, three or four of the guys came down over a weekend. They actually ended up wow. being two weekends in the end um, to lift out the old unit and put in the, the European version that went, went into the car. Yeah. And uh, and again, it's all for free. It's all just for, you know, for the love of the car and for the love of the community. And so, so, so yes, I mean, the to answer that, the question was what? What qualities make for a successful Reaper? Yeah. I think the qualities that make for a successful Reaper are a willingness to make sure that the people who have helped you are make sure that you they know they're appreciated <laughs> yeah. um, and to make sure that you know you try and give back to the club in any way that you can you know for the, the the services which are so gladly you know given out to the to the people who need help i know here uh, in southern california i always whine about it that there's not a, a big community like you guys have there up in Seattle, fantastic community. Everybody helps. As far as I know, people help each other. They even have Toby Peterson, who has had a DeLorean shop for many years. He yeah. does tons of free work for people at Tech Days. 
And mm. Toby is such a nice guy, but I, I think he takes gets taken advantage of a little bit, and, and maybe he does <laughs> a little too much for free, considering that he has a shop he's trying to make a living with. And yeah. in Ohio, I know they have a great community that when they get together in the summers that they are helping each other. So uh, I'm I'm jealous of all the places that have good communities. Same thing in San Francisco. A lot of good people that are smart and, and share. Um, but I didn't realize that the UK club was that tight. I mean, the history of the, the UK sort of club scene is a bit more complex than that. There was originally the DeLorean Owners Club, uh, which has been around for for a long time since the, I think possibly even since the nineties. And eventually there was a, there was a new club formed, which is DeLorean club UK, which is the one that sort of runs DeLorean go as well. And that's the one where, you know, that's the one which I've been sort of part of for the last 10 years. And that's the one I'm, I'm talking about here, but it's uh, yeah. I mean, a very active sort of club scene here and it makes the ownership experience so much, so much better. <laughs> you know, yeah. if it was just, if I was, if the only sort of interaction I had was, you know, with a sort of a, I don't know, like a bi-monthly magazine that had the odd how-to in it and you're trying to work out how to change your God knows what, <laughs> yeah. you know, it would be much less fun. Much yeah, less much fun. less fun. Yeah. I even, as uh, in the last couple of years, I've, as I've had the DeLorean and my friends have known for 20 years I wanted the car. Now that I have one, I have several friends like, oh, my neighbor, my old friend, my buddy has a car. And when they're in Southern California, specifically Orange County, I say, hey, can I can I meet them or what's their name? Maybe I know of them or somebody knows of them. So I've met a handful, three or four people that have owned cars for 20, 30 years. And I've gone to meet them or I've called them up and they have never come to any kind of a DeLorean event. They don't know wow. any other owners. And I'll attribute this back to the, you know, most of these guys have bought the car in 81, 82, 83 before the movie came out. So they are not yeah. the movie guys. They are the car guys. But And they're nice people. They're not hermits. They just haven't yeah. connected with anyone. So I'm trying to invite those people out. I just started the Orange County DeLorean Club here in Orange County, California, which is, you know, you've got Los Angeles, Orange County, and San Diego, and then Riverside to the east. There's a lot of cars in Orange County. And like I said, I've met several people in Orange County that have never come out to events. So I'm, I want to get the, the older guys to come out, not because their mechanics or have any special experience, but because they're a DeLorean owner and maybe yeah. they will have more fun and drive the car more often if they come out and meet other owners. That's my hope. Yeah. And that's, I kind of, I wonder how your ownership experience works. I mean, do you just have a local shop that looks after your car for that long? I, I wonder how you can exist and keep a car on the road without that support. You well, know? you know, we're lucky that in the U S we've got, you know, Toby in Seattle, I don't think there's any dedicated DeLorean shops in San Francisco. We've got DeLorean uh, DMC California, which is, you know, corporate office offshoot from Houston. Yeah. And then there's Houston, Texas, of course. And then in Florida, they have a, another DMC franchise. And then in the Midwest, there's Dave Bowerly and a few, and a few other shops that are dedicated. And then in the Northeast, there's, of course, Rob Grady. Yeah. So the United States, kind of the main populations, have dedicated DeLorean shops, along with lots of other places that... Uh, are mixed between DeLorean and other cars and know how to take care of them. I'm lucky that I live 15 minutes away from DMC, California. Yeah. When I got my car, it, it sat in a garage for 27 years and DMC picked it up. They had it for three plus months and totally went through it. It was a fair amount of money. It wasn't overblown yes. and it wasn't a pittance, uh, but they got the, you know, they brought the car back to life after 27 years 
and I have not had any significant problems. I've driven it to Vegas twice, which is three and a half, four hours, had great time. So I'm lucky, and it's also kind of a curse because having DMC right there, it's way too easy to just drop it off and have them work on it and, you know, $100 plus an hour for maintenance versus guys in Northern California, they're turning wrenches on their own, and they're they're learning the car. I would love to learn more about the car and do some more work on it, but I'm not willing to do it by myself. And that's part of my whining is that not having people local that are willing to come over and help swap out an engine, not that I need that, but to do that kind of work, I don't have that. So I'm I'm trying to build that community in this area now. Yeah, that sounds like an excellent plan. I totally feel your, you know, the dilemma you're in there. I did exactly the same one with the water pump, which is I was planning to do that job myself and I'm sort of tossing up and just thinking, is that the best way to spend my time? Because (laughs) I know that that is, that there's going to be, Somewhere along the line, the process of taking off the inlet manifold and going all the way down there, something will be stuck. Something will stop me from being able to get on with the job and I will be stuck without an appropriate way of getting enough heat or whatever else it is onto that bolt. So I'm, I've just dropped off the water pump with my local mechanic and he can do it. Sure. Yep. <laughs> it's, it's one of those things where, I mean, there's a number of you know jobs I, I have done and will do on the car myself, but that just felt like one I was on the really on the sort of the borderline of, of doing and yeah in the end better just to drop it off well and you said you you hadn't turned a wrench or turned a spanner previously so yeah it's not like you grew up working on cars and sure changing a wa- i've changed water pumps on older cars growing up it's not that big of a deal but it's also involved there's a lot to yeah. it and my fear with the delorean is i don't want to screw something up i know if i <laughs> screw something up on another old car I live on a street there, and I'm not kidding. There's probably 12 auto shops within half a mile of my place, 12. <laughs> so I could have the thing towed or push it to almost any of these places. They could fix it. The DeLorean, they could also do, but I don't know that I would have that kind of trust. London, yeah. I don't know. I, I'm guessing you don't have 12 auto shops that are that close by. No, no, absolutely not. I mean, previously, I've always taken the car over to Chris Nicholson, and he's and he's looked after it. But it's a, it's an hour and a half from here, and it's hard to get back without the car after I've dropped it off. Yeah. Uh, so I found a local a local classic car mechanic who's just a couple of miles down the road, and he specialises in a, you know old cars, European classics. So he's familiar with the you know the Renault Peugeot engine and everything else. So he's you know he's he's got the right sensibilities yeah. and for most most sorts of jobs that's fine if I, if you want cosmetic stuff doing you've really got to go to chris because he's unparalleled you've mentioned chris a couple times for kind of taking care mm-hmm. of the car he's i would say famous in the community for his stainless work but does he all does he have a shop does he also work on cars uh, mechanics yeah yeah he does everything so i mean yes he's particularly famous for his sort of cosmetic work and the stainless work but yeah he has he has done pretty much everything to my car apart from the stuff that i've done on it um and he was he did the the body off restoration i mean i I took the chassis off to deal with the chassis but he was the person who dismantled the car and you know gave me the you know the rusty old chassis to take away and get dipped in acid for a week and when i brought it back he did all the welding and the reconstruction which was absolutely top-notch fabrication he's an incredible fabricator as well and then you know so refabricated all that stuff built the chassis back up i took it off to get electro zinc coated and plas coated and wax oil and everything else brought it back and then he reassembled the car so how many times have you had the body off the frame just once just that one time yeah and you and you had mentioned that when you did the engine swap did you do that while the the frame was off or was that during? no that was previous this is previous so (laughs) 
I did the engine swap first. That was maybe sort of six or seven years ago. Um, and actually, one sort of sort of foolish error I made was I what fail it, failing to run in some reprofiled cams. So when I did the engine swap, I'd previously taken out the cams from the new engine, sent them off to get reprofiled to give more power at the top ends, uh-huh. and then so I put those cams back in, put the whole engine in. Um, and once we'd got the wrinkles sort of ironed out and got the fueling right and everything else, it flew. It was absolutely awesome. You know, I mean, because DeLoreans, they sort of get up towards the sort of a top end of the rev range. And you're aware that for the last thousand revs, it's not really doing anything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No more power. And it just kind of makes a noise, but you're not really getting much <laughs> out of it. But with the different cams, my God, it really picked up. It really flew. Hmm. But what I hadn't done in my, in my you know, uneducated foolishness was actually run the cams in properly. So what the car started running ropier and ropier after about two, 3,000 miles. And I finally sort of took off the, um, the covers and had a look at the rockers. And they were basically the, the, the cams had eaten the rockers. And so I had to sort of take the heads off again. And I've put stock cams back in. So the engine now is just running. The stock rockers. The, the, the stock European setup, but with the uh, free flow exhaust. Oh, yeah. That's interesting. I know uh, Don Steger had uh, the DeLorean Motor Center in Garden Grove and here in Southern California for 30 years. Did a lot about changing changing those. Do you remember the measurements on yours? So, no. I sent them off to a company called Kent Cams here, who for some reason have like a huge list of pretty much every car ever made and the specs for those cams and within those within the list it was actually because my engine came out of a volvo 760 they had volvo 760 on there and the two point you know 2.8 v6 and there was a set of specs for a fast road setup and also a race setup if you wanted to be that insane about it wow. uh, but i went for the fast road setup and so they had the specs i mean i can get the specs and yeah. post i mean i can ask them for them if it's of interest to people i just know there's there's people out there that are going to listen and know that i don't know it yeah. but i i've heard don talk about uh don's crazy cams where he's pushed the limits and had to bore out the covers or do something to to give room for the rockers wow um, and he says you know he's get he gets tons of power other people that have driven his car have said it's got tons of power for the same reason you're talking about yeah but i know the volvo is tightly connected to the delorean you know the the inner workings yeah do you did that have the prv engine you said you did the engine swap is yeah. this a prv engine from a volvo it's not another delorean engine Absolutely. So this is an engine that was lifted out of a Volvo 760. It only had about 45,000 miles, something, which is really rare to find because those cars got driven a lot. You know, they were sort of business guys, sort of, you know, wagons that, and they're all 30 years old. So whatever yeah. ones were, it all done mega mileages. But this one had been owned by an old guy and not driven it much. So the engine was in great condition because it's actually, even though the engines were supplied by Renault, uh, to DeLorean, the Volvo unit is much closer in terms of design. So you so you lift the Volvo unit out, you change the sandwich plate on the bottom and pretty much drop it in and then stick on all the ancillaries. Huh. So it's it's kind of that simple with the Volvo unit. And you know the difference between the Volvo and the and the DeLorean unit is there's a bunch, but it's running different ignition and fueling essentially, but that runs all the way through and you're also higher compression as well. So all those sort of bits and bobs add up. So it's a torquier engine as well and it's got more power at the top end. It's funny you say you're not a car guy. You you sound like you know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. I've had to learn. You don't I sort of wanted to make sure if I was gonna go down this route, then I ought to know what the hell I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, well, again, it's that's that that curse of having a dedicated dmc shop so close is I, I haven't learned enough yet but i expect to have the car for another 10 20 30 years as well so maybe i'll learn more by then yeah i'm sure 
So uh, a couple more questions. Yeah. What's the best piece of DeLorean advice you've ever gotten? <laughs> the one that stays with me is probably from one of the guys in the club when I was talking about trying to, I think this was early in my DeLorean ownership where I kind of felt that I could make the car perfect. And <laughs> what a fallacy that <laughs> Right. And, and, and I think the piece of advice was just, it's a DeLorean. Obviously, that's just a statement of fact. But what, what the meaning behind that was, whatever you do, you won't ever make the car really fast or really handle well or really <laughs> like as reliable as a modern car. Get these ideas about turning a 38-year-old underdeveloped car. You know, pre-production car, which is kind of what they all were, really, you know, into something that is like a modern car and goes as fast as a modern car and goes around corners as well as a modern car and everything else. Just stop it. Yeah. <laughs> Enjoy it for what it is. Yeah, it, it is what it is. And and so, sort of, so that sort of affected the way that I thought about it. So it was more about let's make the car what John DeLorean would have wanted to make the car if he'd actually had the chance to develop it for another year or two and sell it over here in the UK. And that's kind of what I'm aiming the car to be, nice. you know, so a much more kind of sympathetic uh, approach to modernizing the car and trying to get the car to where I wanted it to be. Perfect sense. That That's a, a great piece of advice. Part of the reason why I ask that question is because I'm always hoping to get something else from someone that I haven't heard before. And I, I think I've heard some version of that, but it is true. Just enjoy the car for what it is. Don't try to make it something else. I, I give credit to the people that have ripped the car apart and, and made them electric or, you know, tried to make them supercars. Good for them. Yeah, but I would want to try and run it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, just because it's yeah. so much more work and the amount of money that has gone into those is a lot. So, yeah. Uh, what is your daily driver? Uh, I have a 2004 Mini Cooper S. They're quite easy to tune because they're supercharged. So you can fit a supercharger reduction pulley and fit some colder plugs and a cold air intake. My mine's been dynoed at 235 brake. So for a little Mini, it's it's fairly rapid. Wow. Um, and I've had that since new. And so I, I'm still rattling around in that and it's still great. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Tiny. those are tiny cars compared to the DeLorean. Yeah, but as I say, in the, it weighs the same. It's the same, you know, but everyone was saying at the time, a DeLorean's super heavy and maybe compared to, you know, Lotuses of the time and cars were generally a bit lighter back then. Yeah. But by modern standards, it's not it's not all that heavy, the DeLorean. I mean, same as, a, same as my Mini. <laughs> yeah, people always, same thing here, people always think that because of the, the stainless, they think it's got a stainless steel body and it's like, it's just panels and it's fiber underneath. Yeah. So yeah. It, it makes for a lighter car. I've, I've I've wondered what the DeLorean would look and drive like if you just removed all the stainless and the louvre. <laughs> I've not seen one driving around like that, but I think I'd kind of want to. So I have seen, of course, at the DMC shop here in California, they have tons of cars. And it is weird to see them just moving a car. Forget it, whether they drive it or not. It is so weird to see it driving naked. So, um, <laughs> And then every now and then you see the videos on YouTube of people that are doing a rebuild and they've... Uh, there's a great video of a guy that I think he got the engine in and hadn't put any panels on, and he drove it up and down the street. It is weird. It is like seeing a shaved dog, you know, walking around. <laughs> shaved Chewbacca or something. Yeah. 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 All right. And the last question I always ask people is, what's in the trunk of your DeLorean or in the boot? So in the spare wheel well, uh, there is no need for a spare wheel, in my opinion, because what are you going to, if you've got a passenger and you get a flat on the rear, what are you going to do with the rear? Yep. Like it's not, it's not going anywhere. Yep. You're leaving a passenger on the side of the road or you're leaving the wheel on the side of the road. Or, or you're getting uh, towed anyway. So why carry it? 
yeah so so that's gone and and in there i have a, a whole bunch of tools um, I do like, I mean, most of the guys who use their cars over here, if you open the trunk, it's just full, the whole thing's full of tools. <laughs> I like to keep my trunk clear, but underneath the carpets in that spare wheel well, that's where all the, that's where all the nonsense goes. And then in the front, uh, and then where the jack should live, but again, I've removed the jack because I'm not going to be changing a wheel. In there, I've got jump leads and I've got Jubilee clips and I've got an electric crimping set and stuff. What are Jubilee clips? Oh, I wonder what you call them. So around a rubber hose, you... Uh, oh, you hose clamps. We call them hose clamps. Got it. Okay. Yeah, I, yeah. I, 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 in your movie, you show the, the jumper leads, but I wasn't yeah. sure if you had cleaned out that trunk for the film or if that was... That's how it normally lives. Apart oh. from a strap brace that sits in there doing nothing, <laughs> it, it's, uh, it's, I usually try and keep it empty. I, I, just, I just don't like the... I don't know. I try and, I try and keep my car as... And I'm not super anal about keeping it concourse clean, but I like to have the idea that it's something approaching what it's supposed to be like. Sure. I, I have found, I'm just so guilty. I have way too much stuff in mind. I've got a, one of the rubber wheel blocks for yeah. going to a car show. If there happens to be a you know a little bit of a hill or something, it's just nice to have it be safe. I know some people put their fire extinguisher under the, under the wheel as a, as a block. Oh, that's nice. I'm like, yeah. eh, you know, it was a five bucks at, at the local auto parts store and uh, it, it's fairly small. And then I have a, I built a remote control uh, Back to the Future DeLorean. So that's in my trunk along nice. with, usually uh, I have a chair, a folding chair for car shows and what have you, yeah. or if that day comes when I'm broke down for several hours. Uh, <laughs> and then I've got, you know, extra jacket, paper towels and window cleaner and some stainless cleaner. And then I actually carry around a box of uh, postcards I made for the car because it's really fun to give people a postcard that of a nice picture of my car. I, from the movie, the Twin Pines Mall is actually a yeah. mall 15, 20 minutes away from me, Point Hills Mall. So I went there at 2 in the morning and took some nice <laughs> pictures of it and awesome. turned into a postcard. So I've got those and then a bunch of the blue Save the Clock Tower flyers I like giving out. So my trunk yeah. has too much junk in it, which is why I always ask other people, what do they have? And I'm inspired. Yeah, most 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 owners' trunks are full of junk. I would say like ninety percent. I'm one of the rare ones. <laughs> well, uh, Jez, was there anything else you wanted to share or pitch or talk about? Only to, to ask you a question, which is, how does your aircon hold up in California heat? Well, pretty good. Uh, that was one of the things that uh, DMC redid. Actually, I was chomping at the bit after twenty years of one in the car, and they had it for three plus months. I was hoping to have it for Christmas because I had a couple weeks off during Christmas break and I wanted to drive it around and show friends. I didn't pick it up until early January, which in Southern California, you know, we don't get any kind of cold weather like you do and mm -hmm. picked up the car, drove it for about a month and it was fine. Uh, having the, you know, rolling the windows down was enough. Didn't need the AC. And then late January, one of the warm days hit and I had a 80, 85 year old passenger and it was <laughs> awful i was i was embarrassed and i was just like there is no way you can drive a delorean at least in southern california without ac yeah. so i immediately went back dropped another fifteen hundred dollars ish plus and had them redo the ac so now there's times when i have to turn it down because it's so cold that's amazing. Uh, and that's when the weather is in the you know high 80s low 90s if it gets above you know 92 95 degrees the ac barely keeps up um, yeah. with, with, with the heat, the sun here in Southern California. Yeah. Because the ventilation is not great at the best of times, you know, it's no. not it's, <laughs> like no. good luck getting that much air, you know, through it. Well, Kevin Crin in Ohio 
He's uh, he. I don't know if you've seen the pictures or videos. He has done a digital dash conversion to the car, and just an amazing job. And he's three D printed some parts. And he last year at Delorean Week in Las Vegas, which by the way, if you ever get over the the U S. and it's October, you got to come by and visit that. Um, Kevin three D printed some air scoops that fit really well into the into the windows, and they oh. dump a ton of air inside, and it's great. That's amazing. Yeah, they work great. He 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 had brought them out from Ohio for DeLorean Week in Las Vegas last year, and we tried them out during one of the fun runs that we did, and very impressive. But also, Vegas is kind of a hot, dry heat, and while you got airflow, it was it didn't necessarily cool you down. So fairly quickly, I was like, okay, we know that they work well. Let's turn on the AC and <laughs> roll up the windows. Uh, but if you were any place other than Vegas or that, you know, desert climate, I bet they would just work fantastic. So yeah. I know he, he's talked about printing more of them and putting them up online for sale for a couple bucks. And I hope he does because there's going to be somebody that makes use out of them. They work great. Absolutely. Well, uh, thanks you again. Your video sincerely was just fantastic. And I'm, I'm not trying to gush, but well, thank you. I appreciate that. Well, well done. Uh, I, I, it would be nice if that YouTube channel, if you put your contact information on there, because I can't be the only person that was trying to figure out who did it. and Or maybe you just don't want the attention. Yeah, well, yeah, maybe I'll add something on there. Because I'm sure that there are people that have other questions or just want to connect with you. Even if you do end up selling the car, you might find that there's somebody down the street from you that is a DeLorean owner and you just haven't met him yet. And they're like, yeah, I should connect with this person. Yeah, you're quite right. You're very outgoing and friendly, and, and I, I don't take you for that guy that's like, leave me alone. I don't <laughs> want to talk to people. No, no. Well, Jez, uh, thank you so much again for joining. And uh, to everybody else out there listening, thank you for the great comments. I know that uh, there tends to be little periods in between episodes where I'm not doing anything. And I know I keep saying it, but the reality is it's hard to get people to commit to a date and time. So that's why I say thanks to Jez and the people that have. It's nice to say, oh, I'll do it. But then if if it takes three or six months or or never to get on the phone, uh, it's hard to put these episodes out. So if you've got good stories, want to share, especially if you are leadership in a DeLorean club anywhere in the world, I'd love to have a Skype call with you because the club leaderships, I think, can share lots of great knowledge and help spread the word and get it out there. So Send in a message over to comments at DeLoreanTalk.com. Check out DeLorean Talk on all the social media platforms and uh, drive safe. Thanks so much. <laughs>